We have a little gift for the mothers here today. And so if I can have a couple of deacons come down, we'll hand those out. We decided to do something different this year. No, no carnations. While they're doing that, we can turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, we're going to start in verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Keter, Abdeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeder, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If, this is wa- if, this is th- if it is thus, excuse me, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Let's pray. God, give us insight into your word today. We pray your word would go forth, that it would nourish our hearts and our souls. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Fill us with your spirit now. Amen. So at this point in Genesis, Sarah has passed away, Isaac and Rebekah have been married, and Abraham has recently been buried. So we pass on from Abraham's story, and there's really a switching in the story to now we're following the lineage of Abraham encompassed in Ishmael and Isaac. And you need to catch the contrast here. The non-promised line is going crazy with fertility, right? Twelve sons, 
and they're princes. And where's the promised line? Stuck it go. Right? And Isaac has to be wondering, I mean, what is going on? I thought I was the promised one. I thought God said it was through me that the lineage would continue. And if you're just jumping into the story at this point, you would think that Ishmael was the line of promise. That he was the one that was to carry it on for Abraham. But anyone who knows the story and who is reading up to this point should be asking themselves, um, where's the kingdom of God? Where's, what's going on with Isaac? What's wrong with Rebekah? I mean, the kingdom of God is there, but it's in like this tiny little mustard seed form. It's hidden. It's obscure. And it doesn't seem to compare at all to the power of the kingdom of this age encompassed in Ishmael's line. We need to see something. The biblical writer was making a point when he places fruitfulness against barrenness. It was intentional. And he wants you to stop where you are at in the story and kind of be like, what is going on? He wants you to scratch your head and think, uh, there seems to be a problem here. Well, what is going on here? I want to show you three key things in the text. First, the proper perspective of motherhood. Where does that begin? Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to others. We need to have a heavenly viewpoint and not an earthly one. Because from an earthly point of view... Ishmael was truly the one that was being blessed. And if you compare it, it's not looking so good for Isaac and Rebekah. Twelve sons versus no sons. Princes versus nothing. I'm sure the family reunions were a lot of fun, right? Ishmael's like, here's my twelve sons and my 45 grandchildren. How are you doing, Isaac? (laughs) (laughs) It probably wasn't very enjoyable for either one of them. Don't compare yourself to others. Moms, don't compare yourself to other moms. God has his plans, and we have ours, and they don't always line up. What happened when Sarah tried to enact her plan? Not good things, right? Bad things. We need to trust the Lord in his timing. Isaac and Rebekah already knew the consequences of trying to force God's hand because that's what, their, that's what his parents had tried to do. Bad things happened, and so they waited. That's my first point. The second point, the promises of motherhood. How long did Abraham and Sarah wait? 25 years. Isaac was promised. From that promise, it was 25 years until the promise was fulfilled. How long did Isaac and Rebekah wait? You miss this part in the story because it's always about Sarah and Abraham. Look at verse 26. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And we find out that they got married in verse 20 when Isaac was 40. So about 20 years they waited. Listen, God's promises are sometimes slow to come to fruition. But God's past faithfulness reminded them he would continue to be faithful. Because God was faithful to their parents. They had seen God work. They believed he'd continue to be faithful and continue to work. 
We need to live and dwell on the promises of God. What were those 20 years like? I don't know, probably some tears, some frustration, a lot of praying, a lot of trusting. Listen to me. God has promised to bring your redemption to full fruition. In Isaiah 43.1, he says, I have redeemed you, past tense. I have called you by name, you are mine. And in Romans 8, we have an awesome passage where he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then listen to this part. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, have any of you been really glorified yet? You're walking around with your glorified body? Not yet, right? But so certain Paul is that this is going to happen, that he uses glorified past tense. He has glorified you. That's how certain he is it's going to happen. God has promised to be with you. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised to strengthen you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians. He has promised to comfort you. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He has promised to bless you. Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And he's promised to give you rest. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's promised to be your refuge. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46. Over and I, we could just keep looking at promises all day. But mothers, you need some of those promises. And you need to be reminded of some of those promises. Because that's what God is and promises to you. Cling fast to his promises. You want to know the most asked question in the Bible? It's how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And you know what the reply is? Five years. Just kidding. <laughs> the, the answer most given is do not fear. That's the response. Fear not. So we're crying out, how long, how long? What is he saying? I've got it. Press on, I have it. Third, the perseverance of motherhood. Struggles will occur, but press on. Isaac and Rebecca waited 20 years. They made it. Moses, about 40 years, he made it. King David, from the time he was anointed by Samuel until he became king over all Israel, over 15 years. 
He made it. Don't give up. Persevere. And don't grow weary of doing good, as it says in Galatians 6. There's a biblical difference, by the way, between being weary and tired. When you talk about weary, it's kind of like you're ready to toss in the towel, you're ready to walk away, you're ready to give up. You talk about tired, well, that's, you know, that's what you feel after you've had a, a good, hard day working. Any of you ever help anyone move? Okay, that's tired, right? At the end of the day, you're spent, you have no energy. It's kind of like how it is being a mom, right? Every day is a moving day. It's hard. Being tired is okay. It can actually be a, a good sign that we're working hard for the Lord. I have a little video here for us to look at. We'll go ahead and pull that up. Uh, us guys can learn a lot from that video. <laughs> we're not always the greatest help to our wives. Every husband, I want you to turn to your wife right now. Say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. All right. I can relate to the guy who came home from the grocery store, and he had one carton of eggs, two sacks of sugar, three bags of flour, four cans of frosting, and his wife looked at him and said, I know I shouldn't have numbered the list. (laughs) We don't always get it, okay? We don't always get it. Men, what are we doing to let our wives have some times of refreshing? All right? It can be small tasks, dishes, laundry, sweeping, mopping. If you're not sure what those four words are, that's a bad sign. (laughs) Time outside the house, you know, get them outside by themselves. One guy told me recently, I'm doing more than my fair share in the marriage. And I looked at him and said, welcome marriage, because both parties need to do more than their fair share. Men, you need to be praying for your wife. God will hear it. Look at back at Genesis in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isaac prayed. God heard Isaac's prayer. What if Isaac wouldn't have prayed? There's something for you to chew on. God answers prayer. He hears it. And here Isaac was interceding for his wife. And God granted his prayer. Man, you need to be praying for your wife every single day. Specific things. You know... A mother's job never ends. And men, when we walk in at the end of the day, we can't make the mistake of thinking that our job has ended. All right? Our most important job is just beginning. The importance of your employment pales in comparison to the importance of the employment that you have at home. Make sure that your primary job is the one at home. Because guess what? If you mess up at your job, at your place of employment, you get fired, right? But you'll probably find another job. You mess up at home, the consequences are a lot more devastating. 
because it affects your wife, your marriage, your children. We're talking about eternal souls on the line here. We're talking about the bride of Christ. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be Christ to your wife. And she's your bride. If her job never ends, then our job never ends. Now, some of you might have some children that aren't, aren't walking with the Lord. Listen, it's never too late for God to intervene. It is never too late. Do not give up. The great church father, Augustine, he was about as wayward as one can get. Was living a life of sin, everything imaginable. His mom prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed like crazy for him. Lived with a lady for about 15 years. Child out of wedlock. And then one day he's in, he's in, uh, he's in a garden and he hears, he hears a child's voice saying to him, Tola lega, take up and read. And then he hears the voice again, the child saying, Tola lega, take up and read. And his mom had been encouraging him. He had a Bible. He picked it up. He just flipped open randomly. And he turned to Romans. And he ended up getting saved. God answered Augustine's mom's prayers. His mother never gave up. Prayed like crazy. Don't you give up. Don't you give up on your kid. Don't give up on them. Pray, pray, pray. In summary, have the proper perspective of motherhood. Don't compare yourself to others. You will be miserable. Don't do it. You know, when you compare yourself to someone, you always end up taking their strengths and then comparing them to your weaknesses. And then you feel horrible. You see all the places that person is shining and then feel like you're not shining at all. Don't do it. Cling to the promises of God. He is faithful. Hold on tight to his promises. All the promises of God, 2 Corinthians says, are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises. In the perseverance of motherhood, press on. You, with the help of God, will make it. Persevere. Endure. God is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing that mothers are. We all owe a great debt to our mothers. May today just be one day, God, that we highly esteem them as they ought to be. And Lord, I pray for the moms here. It is so easy to listen to the world and get discouraged. It's easy to listen to sometimes our negative inner voice and get discouraged. Father, be with them. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Remind them of your promises. Because to every one of them, you say yes. Wipe away the spirit of discouragement that might exist. Let them lean on you, God. You are a good and gracious God. We thank you. Amen.